Well, good morning. A reminder, it's Valentine's Day, everybody. So some of you just had a panic attack, didn't you? Hey, I just want to say good morning. My name is Pastor Joe. If you're joining us online on YouTube, on Facebook, I want to welcome you in. Thank you for taking the time to be here with us this morning. We are going to be in the second week of looking at Scripture and what it says about marriage. But before we dive into where we're going, I just want to acknowledge that this topic, marriage, and this day in particular, Valentine's Day, it, it can bring up some tough feelings uh, in folks for a variety of reasons. Maybe because of unwanted singleness, or a broken marriage, or walk the path of divorce, or you've lost a spouse. And so this kind of creates a dilemma. Because on one hand, I, I would never want to cause you any kind of unnecessary pain because I care about you. And, and by pain, I mean like the destructive pain, the kind that tears you down, not the kind that brings healing. On the other hand, I believe we really need to talk about what Scripture says about things like marriage because there are those who are on a path to some very destructive pain that could be prevented if they just understood what God's plan was for their lives and for their marriage. And so today, if you're one of those folks that this is a tough topic, I, I want to make an ask of you and then a promise to you. As we're talking about these things, if it brings up something that's just hard and painful, my ask is that you will take that to God and say, God, this is how I feel. What, what are you trying to teach me through this? And turn it over to him and allow him to use that to bring some healing into your life. My promise to you is that I'm going to do my absolute best to discuss this with you in as scripturally sensitive a way as possible. But what I know is that my absolute best, it's not perfect. But we do have a perfect Savior who gives us his perfect spirit, who can speak a perfect message to our hearts. And so as we begin this morning, I just want to ask you to join me in prayer as we go to our Savior Jesus and ask for his message to be spoken today. Please bow your heads with me. God, we come before you. We thank you for this beautiful thing that you've given to us called marriage. And yet even that word we know, God, can just bring up different feelings in the hearts of people based on where their experience has gone with this. Father, I want to invite your spirit into this place this morning. And even as I speak, God, I pray that you'll block off all the stuff that's just coming from me. And you'll amplify all the stuff I say that's coming from you in a way that will allow each individual to hear the message that you have for their life from the Spirit today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, as we get started, I want to tell you about this day in my life. May 28th, 2008. That is not my wedding day. But this day lives forever in infamy in my life for two reasons, really. One is, this was the day that the P Pittsburgh Penguins won their first Stanley Cup Finals game after a 16-year drought. It was also the day that I came this close to not getting married. So there I was. It was the middle of game three. Pens versus the Detroit Red Wings. I had blocked off my whole week, organized everything so I could be on the couch watching that game with no distractions. My cell phone rings. It's my fiance. We were 10 days away from pledging our lifetime of sacrificial love to one another. I answered the phone hoping to make it really, really quick. She had just gotten home from a 14-hour day at work and walked into the home that we were going to begin sharing together in just over a week, and it was 25 minutes away, and she begins to tell me that there's a problem. There's a bat. 
flying around the house. I'm glad she couldn't see my face through the phone. I knew I had a problem. This was going to make it tough to watch the hockey game, but I had a plan. The first thing I was going to try, if I could just delay. So I said, well, how did a bat get into the house? And why am I the one whispering? I thought, you know what, if I could just ask like a period and a half of questions, then I can just delay this until this game's over, and then I'll go help her out. She said, I don't know how a bat got in the house. I just need you to come get rid of it right now. Our marriage counselor had kind of told us that in marriage it's tough sometimes for couples to express their expectations to one another. And we were really good at that that day. I knew exactly what she wanted me to do. I just didn't want to do it. So I tried my second tactic, denial. I said, are you sure that it's not just a really, really big moth? Yes, I'm sure it's not a moth. She wasn't whispering any longer. <laughs> There was a long pause. I'm running out of options, but I had one card I could play left. Maybe I'll just delegate. And before I really could understand how stupid these words were, they truly did come out of my mouth. Can't you just deal with it? <laughs> yeah, you weren't there to laugh <laughs> to help me out. You know what? In the little game we were playing, she skipped right over saying Uno, and she laid down the winning card. It was like draw four and go to jail and a royal flush, all wrapped up into one. She said, fine, I'll just call my dad. He cares more about me than some dumb hockey game. Oh, I was beaten. And you can see I am wearing a wedding ring. So I realized just how big of a fool that I was. I got in the car, drove 25 minutes to the house where we did not have cable, and got rid of the bat, asked for forgiveness, and was able to go through with my wedding day. But I tell you this story today for two reasons. I learned two lessons that day. The first one was this. The Pittsburgh Penguins were more than capable of winning a hockey game without needing me to watch it. The second lesson was a little bit more important. I realized that in my marriage, I would be confronted with the real me. Marriage confronts me with the real me, and marriage confronts you with the real you. When you get married, you're going to be confronted, and I was confronted with just how self-centered we can really, really be. With how sinful we are. Marriage taught me how big of a Jerry that I could be. And that was the point. See, here's the thing. You're here today, and you might know me a little bit, and you might realize that I can be a real jerk sometimes. This is not a good time for an amen. But you might realize this about me, but you're not going to say anything to me. And that doesn't help me become less of a jerk. And you'll tell yourself, well, I don't say anything because I'm just being nice. Maybe that's partly true, but if you're honest, it's just not worth it to you. You don't want to create a problem for yourself because already we've established that I can be kind of a jerk. But for my spouse and for your spouse, well, it's a little bit different. You see, you can avoid me and the topic if necessary, but they can't avoid it because they live with us 24-7. So whether they bring it to our attention directly or we're just confronted with it because of the nature or of the relationship, 
at some point in our marriages, we're going to just be confronted with the type of person that we can really be. For me, it was the type of person who would want to watch a hockey game instead of helping his fiance, who had just worked 14 hours to try to put some money into the bank for our new life together. And so well, here's what happens. When we get into marriage, we begin to be confronted with who we really are, and we, some of our sin gets exposed. It can bring up conflict, and it's uncomfortable, and it's difficult. And we realize that, wait a second, these types of feelings are the exact opposite of feelings that we thought we were getting married for in the first place, which was happy feelings. And when we begin to feel those unhappy feelings, it's just natural to assume, well, this marriage just isn't working. But have you ever stopped long enough to think that maybe this inevitable outcome confrontation with ourselves and the resulting unhappy feelings sometimes isn't a sign that your marriage and my marriage isn't working, but it's actually confirmation that it's working exactly as it is supposed to be. In a book called Sacred Marriage, author and pastor Gary Thomas puts forth this idea. He says, marriage is designed to make us holy more than to make us happy. Even though a lot of people get married because they think, well, this is going to bring me the ultimate happiness, and they evaluate whether their marriage is a good one or not based on how much of this that they get, God has a different design in mind, something bigger, something more important. When God designed my marriage and we designed your marriage, he designed it with our holiness or with our relationship with him in mind. And this is the idea we're going to look at today. Does Scripture really teach this? So if you have your Bibles, you can join with me in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 25. But just to give you a heads up, we're kind of like parachuting right into this bigger conversation that's going on. So I just need to do a really quick little bit of legwork to get us up to speed so this text will make more sense for us. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 takes place in the context of a larger conversation that the Apostle Paul was having with this church in Ephesus about marriage. And he starts into the conversation in verse 21, and he's saying to them, in your relationships, and especially in your relationships within marriage, I want you to approach it this way. He says, make sure that you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the basis, the starting point for marriage, submission to one another. And then he goes on to give husbands and wives each some specific instruction on how to submit and on how to love. But then I think because he knows that really none of us like to be told what to do, especially when it comes to our marriage, Paul says, okay, I'm not going to give you any more instruction. Let me just give you this example. When you're trying to figure out marriage and you're in the thick of it, I just want you to think about this. Look at this example for how you should live your marriage. And in verse 25 he says this, When it comes to your marriage, do your marriage just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in this passage right here, Paul does something that's absolutely critical for understanding of marriage. He says when you think about marriage, you need to realize that the gospel story, the gospel, the story of how Christ loved the church, how he loved us so much that he gave himself up for us, that is the gospel. He says, if you want to understand marriage, you need to look at it through the lens of the gospel. And furthermore, in your marriage, when your marriage falls short or when you fall short in your marriage or when your spouse falls short in your marriage, you need to realize that because of this gospel, 
and marriage pointing us to the gospel, no matter where your marriage is at, you have a Savior who loves you perfectly, who sacrificed perfectly for you. And it's in light of this, in light of the gospel, that you need to realize that your marriage is meant for something more than your happiness. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, the purpose of your marriage in the gospel context is to make you and your spouse holy. In, in Christian Missionary Alliance churches like ours, there's a word that you might hear sometimes for making holy. It's the word sanctify. In fact, the New American Standard version of this passage, that translation says that Christ loved the church so that he might sanctify her. You'll hear us talk about how Jesus is our Savior and our sanctifier and our healer and our coming King. And the word sanctify really means to, to separate from something and to dedicate to something. In this sense, he's saying that in marriage, the process is a process of being separated from our sin and being further dedicated to Christ. See, the world around us tells us, okay, when you get married, you want to marry the person who won't change you, who just will accept you for however you are and, 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 and won't try to make you any different. And Paul's saying, if you want a marriage like that where nobody tries to change you, then don't invite Christ into your marriage because Christ has a higher vision for your marriage. In your marriage, he wants to sanctify you. He's got a vision that your marriage will become different and that in your marriage you will be different and that your spouse will be different and because you're together, you will help each other become different, become more sanctified, more holy. And the way he does it is just like he does it in other areas of our lives. He uses the challenge and the difficulties we face in our lives much more than the comforts and the delights. Because you know this is true. When you're just comfortable and happy, you won't press into anything difficult in your life. And so he's saying, look, in your marriage, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have difficulties. But it's not a sign that things aren't working. It's a sign that God is trying to raise up for you the sin in your life that you need to separate from because he's got this vision that you're going to be more dedicated to him. He's going to sanctify you because, because in your marriage, God cares far more about your holiness than your happiness. And that's why marriage can be so hard sometimes. Now, you're probably sitting there at some point along the way hearing this thinking, I'm really glad I skated to church today through all this ice. So you're telling me, if I'm miserable in my marriage and there's challenges and things are unhappy, don't worry, it's God's plan. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, that's not exactly what we're saying. In fact, we're going to talk about happiness before we're done today. But, but if you're kind of wondering that, thinking, all right, what, well, isn't there supposed to be happiness in my marriage? I just want to ask you a question before we move on. Think about this. You can't make you happy. You can't make you happy. I mean, sure, like there's some times where you can, but you're not consistent about it. And you probably can't even predict what will make you happy. If you look at your life, there have probably been times in your life when you've done things that you were certain would make you happy. A big purchase, or maybe you changed jobs, or you ended a relationship, or started a new one thinking, yep, this is what I want, only to find out a little bit further down the road that the thing that you thought would make you happy actually makes you much less 
happy. And even when you do find things that make you happy in your life, they're probably just temporary, and pretty soon you've got to find something else. I can't speak for you, but I'll just speak for me. I've been at it for about 40 years of trying to do this. I would have thought I'd be much better by now, but I'm not. So if I'm not very good at making myself happy, and maybe you'd be willing to admit, I'm really not that good at making me happy. Is it really fair for us to expect our spouses to make us happier than we're able to make ourselves? And think about it, like, we have an advantage. I have a huge advantage. I know all of my thoughts. My spouse doesn't. Like, I know all of my feelings. My spouse doesn't. Yet even with that huge advantage, I'm still not very good at it. So why should I expect her to be? See, whenever we place the expectation on our spouse and on our marriage that it will bring us all of this fulfillment and happiness, we're pretty much guaranteeing that they won't. So what do we do? Well, the first thing we do is we expect turbulence. We expect turbulence. Could you imagine flying in an airplane and not knowing what turbulence was? You hit turbulence and it's like, oh my goodness, you would think you're going to die. You would think you're headed for a crash. And sometimes in marriage, it feels the same way. You, you hit that turbulence, the bottom falls out, and you think, oh my goodness, this is, wow, this is what, I've been waiting for it to happen. It's finally happened. It's going to fall apart. And in our marriages, we need God's voice to come over the loudspeaker and say, this is your captain, folks. We're expecting a little bit of turbulence. It's going to get a little bit bumpy for a while, but it's okay. I'm still in control. And all this means is that we're still right on track for our destination. So in light of this, whenever you're experiencing that turbulence in your relationship, knowing what God's ultimate purpose is, try not to ask the question of, why is this making me so unhappy? But step back and say, okay, God, this isn't very fun. This hurts. This is hard. You must be trying to make me holy right now. So how can you use this in my life to make me more holy? Paul goes on to, to explain that there's a process that takes place in this over the course of our lives, over the course of our marriages. He says this as he continues. He says that Christ gave himself up to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. He talks about a cleansing process. Scholars think that he's probably pointing to a, a ritual practice in Jewish marriages at the time, as well as some ancient cultures, uh, of a ritual bath that the bride would take prior to being married. We all take baths like every day, so maybe that doesn't carry as much weight for us. So I just want to give you a little bit more modern example to help us understand what he's talking about with this cleansing. When I was in high school, I worked at Eaton Park in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, in the dish room. It's my first real job. And I remember walking into the dish room and I saw on one side there was this really big stainless steel commercial dishwasher. And that's where you put the, the racks of the plates and the cups and the bowls. But over on the other corner, there was a really large stainless steel sink. And that's where all the pots and the pans that were too big for the dishwasher would go. 
when I started working, they put me with a, a guy to train me, and he'd been working there for a long time washing. And I observed what he did, and really quickly I saw that he would get the plates and the cups and the bowls through that big commercial dishwasher just as fast as he possibly could. It was like he worked like lightning speed to get those through. But whenever pots and pans would come back all scarred up from gravies and sauces, he would put them in the big sink, pour water over them, and let them sit. Well, I noticed the sink started to get pretty full, so I was thinking, well, maybe that's my, maybe he's waiting for me to go do that. So I went over and I started to scrub those big pots and pans thinking I was doing the right thing, and he said, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. They have to soak for a while first, and then we'll scrub them. And in my time in that Eaton Park dish room, I learned that scrubbing without soaking and Soaking without scrubbing both resulted in dirty pots and pans. There had to be this balance between the right amount of soaking and the right amount of scrubbing for the cleansing process to work. And I think the same is true in marriage. In in, in marriage, there's a cleansing process that requires scrubbing in truth and soaking in love. There's a cleansing process that Paul's talking about that takes place in our marriage. And it requires both scrubbing in truth and soaking in love. See, when you get married, you're going to find out all kinds of stuff about you that you didn't ever know. And there's going to be sin inside of you that's going to be exposed that you had hoped to keep revealed. Because you can come here to church and now we even put on masks, which makes this even easier but you can hide all of who you are, and you can go to work, and you can put on a costume, and, and you probably know people like this. Like, they're one person at work, and they're a whole different person at home. Because you can wear a costume for a little while, but you can't keep it up forever. But at home, your spouse gets to see you unfiltered and unguarded in your reactions. Kind of like a pitcher that gets bumped. Whatever's inside is going to come pouring out. And we get bumped at home. You walk in the door tired, wanting to just relax, and you find out that the, the washer's broken. You know, you, you've been at home all day trying to take care of your stuff and work and do all these things, and, and your spouse walks in the door, and you're wanting them to help, and, and they've got seven other things they want to do first. You get to see how your spouse reacts when there's a bat flying around the house. And here's the thing, our spouses even, they're probably more free in pointing out those things in our lives that need a little bit of scrubbing. Most of the people in our lives just won't say anything, but they feel a little bit more freedom. And when that comes up, it can feel abrasive. It can feel like scrubbing. And it can hurt. But that's the beauty of marriage. Because the beauty of marriage is it wasn't just designed to scrub on that truth. It was also designed so that in the marriage relationship, it is so soaked in love. It is so safe and secure. There's so much compassion and mercy and tenderness that when the scrubbing of truth takes place, we know we are safe and we are secure to receive it because our spouse isn't trying to tear us down. They're trying to lift us up and make us more holy. Because love says, like, I'm in this with you. You're not alone. Like, I can see your potential. I believe in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. And don't you worry, 
I know this is hard, but I am not giving up. One of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, writes this in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He's talking about this scrubbing and, and, and of truth and soaking of love. And he says, you know what? In life, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. In other words, he's saying we can go around our lives wearing these costumes and we can have people think that we're one thing and it's nice. But really, it's su- superficial. And at the end of the day, we know that it's, they don't, that's not really who we are that they like. On the other hand, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. This is the whole reason we hide who we are and our sin and our selfishness, right? Because we're afraid if somebody knows who we really are, well, that'll just give them more reason to reject us. But he says, in a marriage, to be fully known and fully loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. Saying that, that, that this is what marriage is for, so that someone can know really all of our junk and all of our dirt and all of our mess. And they don't accept it and say, well, I ignore it, but they also love us so much that they love us despite it. It's the thing we need more than anything else. And really, it's the same thing that Paul was saying when he writes that Jesus Christ loved us, the church, even though he knew how messed up we are and how sinful and rebellious that we can be. He didn't love us because we tricked him and then he got a bad deal. He knew everything he was getting when he went to the cross and gave himself up for us. He fully knew us and fully loved us. Loved us. And that's how Jesus loved us. And that's the love that we show in marriage. So what do we do with this? Well, it starts by examining yourself. Not your spouse, yourself. And asking yourself the question, in my marriage, do we need some more scrubbing of truth from me? Or some more soaking in love from me? Look, here's the thing. I know a lot of people that walk around like with Brillo pads in their hands in their marriage. They think their job is just to scrub, scrub, scrub. But a little bit of scrubbing goes a long, long way if your marriage is soaked in love. You don't have to do much scrubbing. But if your marriage isn't soaked in love, all you're doing is scrubbing and pointing out the worst in the other person, no amount of scrubbing will make any difference. I was talking to Pastor Denny about this a couple weeks ago, and he he said something that's just so true in light of this. He said, don't forget, the goal of marriage is to pull out the best in your spouse not to point out the worst. Remember, it's not your job to just to find the faults and point them out. Your job is to help them to become more holy, the person that God designed them to be. At the same time, just soaking in love all the time, but, but really not dealing with any hard issues and just pretending like everything is okay, well, that doesn't help either. And you might be just telling yourself, well, I'm just trying to make them happy. But if that's your only goal then you're really just standing in the way of God's true design for that marriage, which is to help the other person also to become more holy. In the context of this, there's something else I just want to mention. Paul's writing this using Jesus Christ's example of how to receive truth and extend love. And sometimes people hear things like this and they'll think that, Yes, when I push down my spouse, whenever I destroy them, I'm actually helping them. There's a word for that. It's not called love. It's called abuse. And if you're hurting your spouse in a destructive way, whether it's verbally or emotionally or physically, you're not serving any purpose of Christ in their life. You're serving the purpose of Satan. 
and you're spewing hell's destruction upon them. And you need to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you need to stop and you need to repent. Because that is not what this is talking about. And if you're in a relationship where you're being abused, you're not receiving truth. Don't tell yourself that. You are. In fact, sometimes the most loving thing to do in an abusive relationship like that is to separate yourself from that situation for a period of time so your spouse will be prevented from sinning against you anymore. Paul continues on here, and he's, he's saying, look, I get it, this idea of happiness, we're wired this way, so I'm not going to let it go. In fact, I want to give you a new vision for marriage. He says, when you think about marriage, I just want you to know it's, it's not as good as you think. It's actually better. In fact, he puts it this way in Ephesians 5.27. He said, this is the vision that God has for your marriage. It's pre- to present her to himself as a radiant church. In other words, just as Christ presents the church to himself as a radiant church, your role in marriage is to present your spouse to Christ as a radiant follower of Jesus without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul's kind of pointing to a process or a procession that would take place in their culture in a wedding whenever a bride would, would be met by her groom at her house and there'd be this celebratory pro- processional to the new house he's prepared for them. Uh, we might not see that in our culture, but let me just give you an example of what might make sense. Um, in our culture, there's this moment in every wedding that I think is just the most beautiful part of every wedding. It's when the bride walks down the aisle. And, and every time I do a wedding, I tell the groom, okay, like, get in front of me. Just knock me out of the way if you have to. You don't want to miss this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime vision of your bride coming down the aisle for you. And you just take that mental picture and save it and burn it to the hard drive of your memory forever. In fact, in our church, it's the best. Because if you look back at those center doors, you can see right now there's light starting to pour in from the daylight coming through our lobby. And so when you're up front and you're looking back at the bride coming forward, the doors open and there's kind of like two silhouettes, a bride and her father, that emerge. And they're just all backwashed by light. And you're waiting expectantly, and then all of a sudden, the bride just kind of slowly emerges from the light. And she's always smiling, and sometimes the mascara is running, and usually it's both. And, you know, the, the groom's like glad everybody's looking at her because he starts to become a mess. And then I'm like sniffling, and I don't cry. But it's this beautiful thing as she is on a journey down an aisle, a once-in-a-lifetime journey to meet her groom. And that's what Paul is saying that our marriage is to be. It's not that blissful, radiant journey all the time, but he's saying the end goal is to present each other to Christ radiant, without blemish, no wrinkles, no stains. And you're on a journey together toward that in each other's life. And that journey is sometimes going to take you through lush, tropical gardens, and it's sometimes going to take you through dark, barren valleys. But the goal of each is to present each other holiness. So whether, whether you come home with, with news of a promotion or a box full of the stuff from your office because you've been let go, God's saying, look, in your marriage, in your relationship, I want to use this to make you more holy. And whether you're holding a newborn and staring into the newborn's eyes or whether you're staring at another single pink line on a pregnancy test, God said, I've put you in each other's life 
to go through this great time and this difficult time because I want to make you more like Jesus. And there's those times in your relationship when the passion is just raging. And there's those times in your relationship when the passion is extinguished because of bedtimes and bath times and spills on the carpet. But in both times, he's saying, I'm using this season to remove the wrinkles and wipe away the blemishes. So whether you're taking romantic vacations or trips to hospital rooms, the goal is always the same. You're on a path to holiness. Because Jesus' vision for your marriage is a journey to a radiant relationship with him. And your role in that marriage is not to experience and give only happiness, but it's to help one another become more holy. So what do we do? We be patient. Exhibit patience. Because it's a lifetime journey, because you made a covenant and you said, I'm in this forever, realize that God's not done with your marriage yet. He's not done with you yet. And he's not done with your spouse yet. So be patient. The work isn't finished. So when you find blemishes in yourself or when your spouse isn't everything that you expected, realize it's not a finished product. And you've got to stay involved. And if you're in a marriage where you're like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm, I need to get out. Instead of feeling about or thinking about what you can do, focus, okay, what can Jesus do in this? And if you're, if you're not in a marriage relationship, I just want you to know that the vision for your life remains the same. The vision is still holiness. And God can use things outside of a marriage just as much to make you holy as he will use a marriage to make you holy. Let me give you three things that we can offer here as a church, or I want you to know about as a church, that can help you in this process. The first one is this. I just want everybody to know, we are part of a Christian Counselors Collaborative. Our staff as a church does not provide the counseling, but we are a host place where some of the counselors within this collaborative provide counseling. Now, I know what you're saying. I'm not going to counseling. Okay, that's a weak and fearful answer. It doesn't take courage to sit on your couch at home and experience the same problems in your marriage year after year. That's spineless. You want to have real courage? It's saying, I'll do whatever I got to do to have the marriage that God wants me to have. And if you go home or if you're on the drive home and your spouse says, hey, I think that we should call that number and, and see how we can maybe get some help working on some of this stuff. Do not ignore it. Don't dismiss it. But say, okay. Let's find out more. I want to recommend two books to you. First is Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. It goes into way more depth about this idea that marriage makes us holy more than it makes us happy. It's really helpful. Read it by yourself. Read it with your spouse. The second book is Timothy Keller's book uh, with his wife, Kathy, The Meaning of Marriage. Another just great book. Kind of takes the lid off of our cultural view of marriage and really unfolds what Scripture says about marriage. The final thing is uh, there's a conference coming up in April down in Cranberry. It's called the XO Marriage Conference. It's a great conference if you just want to have a weekend away with your wife. And I've gone to this before, so I can tell you it's not one of those conferences that this is everything you're doing wrong. It's one of those conferences that this is, this is inspiring. This is what your marriage could be. And you walk away encouraged and inspired to show the love that got you into the marriage in the first place and the commitment to your spouse. So here's the deal. Marriage is designed to make us holy, 
more than to make us happy. There are joys that come in marriage, many joys, and I hope that you experience those frequently. But there's also difficulties, but we shouldn't be surprised by them. But you, know what you want to know the secret about all of this? The secret is this. When you think about a wedding day and all of this bliss and joy and happiness crammed all into one day, and then you can kind of think that the average wedding costs, what, like $34,000? We might think that's ridiculous, but doesn't that really point to our desire for that kind of happiness and our willing to sacrifice whatever we have to to get it? The secret is that Jesus wants this joy and this bliss for our lives, but he doesn't just want it for one day. He doesn't just want it for a lifetime in a marriage. He wants it for an eternity with him. Because in Jesus is where we find our true happiness. But the path to that happiness is through holiness. And he knew that. And he knew that we couldn't even make ourselves holy. So that's why Paul said that he loved us so much that he gave himself up for us. He completely sacrificed himself, fully knowing what he was getting, out of love for us. Because he wants us to experience relationship with him. So we can experience holiness. So we can experience what it is to be like Jesus. And here's the thing. When you're like Jesus, when you become holy, you get what Jesus has. You get peace because you get Jesus' peace. You, you get contentment because you get Christ's contentment. You get joy because you get his joy as you become holy. See, when he wants us to become holy, it's so that we can be in a better relationship with him so he can give us more of what he has, more of the things that are going to bring us true satisfaction. In our lives. And so if you truly love the person that you're with, that's what you want them to have. You want them to have Jesus. Because that'll bring the deepest and most filling satisfaction that they could ever possibly have. See, our world around us tells us that marriage should make us happy. But when we pursue happiness over holiness in marriage, we usually get neither. Yet Jesus tells us that marriage is to make us holy more than happy. But the secret is, when you pursue holiness over happiness, Jesus wants to give you both. So what's it going to be for you today? Let me pray for you. God, we come before you. We thank you for the, the truth of your word. We thank you for how you've spoken to our hearts through it. I pray that you will inspire marriages, inspire your relationships, inspire healing in our congregation so that the message of the gospel that marriage really teaches us about anyhow can be taken out into our community through through our marriages and that gospel message can be experienced within the context of our marriages as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, a couple quick reminders. Pastor Denny's not in here. I doubt he's going to go back and watch this. So we are collecting cards for Pastor Denny and for Pastor Connie. Uh, they are due, I think, by the 28th. But there is more information about them on our website as well as a video on Facebook from Pastor Bob. So if you want to honor them and express your appreciation, please write a card to them and you can get it turned in by the 28th. There's instructions online you can check out for yourself. And as Pastor Denny mentioned, the reason that we're asking folks to possibly attend either the 8 o'clock or if you're here and you need, you need children's ministry, you don't want your children to miss out, you can come to the 11 o'clock as well. So we're expecting larger crowds in the next couple weeks as we spend some time celebrating what God's done in our church through Pastor Denny and Pastor Connie. So I want to make sure you're aware that that's coming up. I wanted to do it when I didn't see him sitting here, so... You have a great week. We look forward to honoring the Cryzex in the next couple weeks. We'll see you next Sunday.